I'm Jessica, and this is Homecoming, Finding Yourself in Life's Little Moments. Hi, dear listener. So, I'm outside, sitting on a rock, overlooking the bay. And you know, where I live, it's quite magical in a way because it's a peninsula, which means that there's more water (laughs) than there are people. (laughs) More water than there is habitation, human habitation. And one of the things that I've begun to notice about living here is that I'm becoming very aware of the winds and the direction of the winds. And I'm especially aware of them and have been especially aware of them these last few days. So I'm sitting overlooking the bay side. I'm in Sydney, Australia. And on this beautiful rock, which is supporting me with its warmth. It's late afternoon, so the sun has had a chance to warm it through the day. And I'm looking down at the water. There are rocks that kind of are layered in sort of scalloped shapes down to the rocks that are partly submerged by the water at this point and the water itself is kind of a green turquoise and some of the rocks that are partly submerged have vegetation growing on them that's dark green the water here on this side is very gentle, so it's interesting because, you know, again, living on this peninsula, I have this opportunity to experience in close proximity the the open ocean, the beach, the strong currents and waves of the ocean, the sea, as it moves in towards the sandy coast. And then here, on the other side of the peninsula, The water is quite placid most of the time. And uh, depending upon the direction of the wind, there's a choice, you know? You can go to either side, and if the wind is coming from the south, then the ocean side is going to be calmer and more protected. And if the wind is coming from the north, from the northern oceans and the northern part of the country, then this place where I'm sitting now is going to be more protected. So what's in fact happened is that, um, well, I've been following the, the direction and strength of the wind very closely these last few days, and the reason is that there have been bushfires raging to the north of Sydney, And what's interesting, dear listener, is that I've been following bushfires in a kind of parallel way, because in California, as many of you may know, and even be affected, you know, by them directly, there have been many brush fires, many fires that have been fueled by really strong winds. Some of those winds I've learned are called the Santa Ana winds, and there have been gusts up to 70 miles an hour, which is, I know, very strong. Um, And so here, similarly, in a parallel way, 
on the other side of the Pacific, brush fires are being fueled by the dryness of the weather and by the strength of the winds. And the wind directions have been such that Sydney has been engulfed in in fog and haze and smog. And I'm particularly sensitive to smoke. I think some people are maybe more sensitive than others, but what I've begun to observe is that depending upon the direction of the wind, the air around my locale, in my locale, is going to be more or less clear, very very foggy, very hazy, very smoky, or like it is now, actually kind of um, freed from from that. I actually can see towards Sydney, you know, towards some of the high-rise apartment buildings and so on, and they're engulfed in haze. So I know that my position here, my place here on this peninsula is actually affording me at this time kind of a relief, you know. It's affording those of us who live here something of a relief because we're right on the ocean. So those winds that are now coming with a lot of strength this afternoon are coming in a direction where they're clearing out the smoke and um, that's what's been happening. So, you know, it's kind of amazing that I find it's amazing that I can look onto the weather report and hour by hour, you know, they tell you what direction and what strength those winds are going to be coming. And I think to myself, how remarkable that these weather people can, you know, know how strong the winds are going to be and from what direction they're going to come hour by hour, and they tend to be right. They tend to be right. So I've been following, uh, because I have a very dear person who's living in California, I have been following these situations kind of in parallel, you know, in tandem, uh, the fires there and the fires here, and kind of really hoping for the best, really for everybody, and certainly keeping my eye on the conditions, you know, the conditions where this friend, my dear person, lives, and here are the conditions where I live. So apparently tomorrow, what's also interesting is that tomorrow the weather's supposed to start to clear, the wind is supposed to start to come from the south, which is Antarctica, you know, that's the direction of the colder climes, and what that will mean is that will probably bring rain. It may bring thunderstorms, which is going to be a blessed thing here. And similarly, as I've observed, as I've watched the weather report, you know, over in California, um, apparently, and hopefully, those winds are going to start to die down, and people are going to have electricity restored, you know, hopefully my dear friend, whom I can imagine maybe has been um, having to grapple with some of these difficulties, uh, is hopefully safe and will benefit as I am here from a relief in the weather. So where I'm sitting, dear listener, you know, is a very special spot, actually. Yes, it's out of the, the wind and the air has become clearer here and I'm enjoying the late afternoon sun and there's sailboats going by and large boats here in the bay. It's kind of beautiful, you know. Sailboats are very beautiful. I mean, when you think how long people have been sailing, how long people have been navigating the oceans, the waterways, by the power of the wind, 
you know, how simple that is and how in a fundamental way that technology is the same as it was how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago, you know, when was the first sailboat? I don't really know. I mean, I think people have been doing this for a really long time. So here in Sydney, people love to be on the water and there are lots of boats and especially on the weekend, you know, you can see all of these beautiful white sails close and far, you know way in the distance and then closer up and you can see them tacking you know using the wind as their as their mode of power so um as i was starting to say this rock is very special because it was on this rock two things happened two things happened on this rock this particular rock looking out toward the headlands across the bay here out towards the open ocean from here i can see the horizon I can see the horizon from here and the headlands that bookend the space that one comes through the heads they come you come through these this little space to get into Sydney Harbor from the open sea and uh, yeah that's uh, that's the place where people from Europe you know when they were traveling and exploring discovered this area and this whole area has been sort of lived in by the native peoples, by the Aboriginal peoples, by the First Nation peoples um, for, for millennia. And I can imagine them sitting on this rock as I am now sitting. I can imagine them gathering shoals. I can imagine them making little fires, you know, to cook. They did that for countless years, countless years they did that. And I've sat, I'm sure, on this rock often. So on this rock, two kind of exceptional things happened for me. Um, boy, let's see, two and a half years ago, I was in Australia. I had left my marital home. I had come here to gather myself. It's a place I've come to gather myself for a really long time. God has, you know created this haven really for me and I first stepped foot onto Australian shores in 1983 straight out of college and have kind of been coming and going from here sort of off and on since then but when I left my marriage in 2016 I made three trips to Australia within the 12 months following that following my stepping over the threshold of that home, you know, never to return. I made three trips to Australia. And the third one um, was nearly a year after I'd left my marriage and I was here in this place, still sort of determining what my life was going to be. And it was here, sitting on this very rock, looking out over this expanse of water towards the headlands, the blue-gray water, you know, the ripples in the water, the wind sort of brushing against me, the ferries going by, plying the, the waters before me back and forth, bringing people back and forth from where I live into Sydney. It was here that I was so, oh, I guess, what can I say, uncertain about my future, fearful, you know, trying to figure out what was really going to happen 
and uh, I'd been writing in a notebook for some time in the months prior and I was sitting here with a little notebook on this very rock looking over these waters and I began to feel the presence I began to hear a voice come to me and I was writing in my notebook sort of asking myself you know what's going to happen what's going to happen I felt very afraid I felt very uncertain there were so many things that still needed to occur to enable me to start some kind of a new life and none of those things had been resolved or had come to fruition yet and I didn't know how it was going to happen how they were going to you know work themselves out all these knots you know all these knots and I was writing here when I was here for a period of about seven weeks um about two and a half years ago and I began to realize that something was kind of coming through the writing that I was doing in my notebook something was starting to come through and I began to realize that I could kind of float my uncertainty out into the presence of the sense of something which I began to realize and now refer to you know really as God and I think it was a sort of subliminal feeling really not fully formed not fully conscious but something compelled me in that moment you know sitting here on this very rock two and a half years ago something compelled me to actually ask my question out into this space into this feeling into the sense of the possibility of a reply coming back to me you know coming to me of God saying something to me to answer and I said you know what do I do what do I do you know how is this all going to work out how is this all going to work out and dear listener I have that notebook I will always have that notebook I will keep that notebook as long as I possibly can as long as I live I have that no- that notebook that notebook is now labeled number one <laughs> because after that notebook many many more notebooks happened I kept writing and I kept praying and I kept talking to God but that was the first one and I was sitting here and asked you know what is going to become of me what is going to become of my life how am I going to actually you know manage I really didn't know you know it was so tough I mean it was so tough and the words that came through my pen in a kind of automatic way without my sort of I don't know how to say it, you know. It was like I'd become, in in my deep questioning and uncertainty, I was vulnerable to the possibility, you know. I was sort of just open. I think that's what happens to your listener, is that in these moments of greatest vulnerability and uncertainty, the silver lining of that cloud is receptivity. The silver lining of that cloud is openness, the, I'd say, blessing that we're given in those moments is one of 
openness to hear, you know. And what came to me as I was writing on this rock two and a half years ago were the words, you never have to worry. You never have to worry. Don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't worry. I know it doesn't feel certain, but just don't worry. Just don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And two and a half years ago, there's no way that I could have imagined that I would be sitting here two and a half years hence, making this recording to you, dear listener, being able to say, wow, all of those knots really were untied, you know, miraculously. It was a succession of miracles and blessings that enabled the unfolding of my life to occur in such a way that I was free and released and able to come here finally, you know, free, a free woman, you know, finally to come here. So, yes, that's what came to me sitting on this rock. And I'm sitting on this rock now, and one other thing that I think of, you see, in this special place right here, is that just two days ago, it would have been my dad's, my dear dad's, 90th birthday. And it was on this rock, just over a year ago, that... um, having learned third-hand that he had passed. You know, it's a very strange thing how life works. Very strange. Very strange. He was very dear to me. Very, very, very dear. He was very dear, listener. He was very dear. He was very dear to me in a way that I can hardly express you know, life is short, life is life is strange, isn't it? We just never know. But you know, you think back and you go, Wow. You know, there are people who touch us, whose presence in our lives has imprinted itself upon us as in really within our you know, held within our very selves. I mean, it's so much deeper than words can conjure. You know, it's just so much deeper. And uh, after I found out that he'd passed, which was just over a year ago, just short of his 90th birthday. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. Just short of his 89th birthday. I came and walked out. Perhaps the wind was just like it was today, very strong on the ocean side, you know, so that I was drawn to come here to the bay and to sit and to gather myself and to mourn and to feel untold feelings, you know, a wave of feelings, a rush of feelings, feelings that I'd no anticipation of ever having to feel, you know, that's the strange thing, you know, Joni Mitchell says you don't know what you've got till it's gone, right? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. 
There's a kind of poignancy in that. A real poignancy. A strange thing that we don't know what we've got until it's gone and then suddenly it becomes kind of clear to us in this way that just can almost often feel overwhelming. And again, it's like one's released into this place of sort of just unforeseen, unexpected, you know, longing, poignancy, love, deep feeling, the welling up of feeling. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I was here on this rock just over a year ago after I'd found out that my dad had passed. And it was here, the same place, the same rock, where God had come to me and said, Jess, don't worry, it'll be okay. It was right here on the same rock that I was sitting just over a year ago and mourning my dad's passing and feeling a grief that I'd never felt before. You know, I was very close to him. He loved me from the time I was born and before. My dear California friend, I'm, you know, said to me something very beautiful. He said something very beautiful to me one time. He said that he sort of conjured the feeling in some, like, amazing kind of uncanny way of what my dad might have felt even before I was even conceived, you know, how just when the first thought of me came into my dad's mind, like, oh, you know, my parents, maybe they would have me, maybe they would have a child, you know, and I think of my dad too, and I'll share this too because this is really something, is that on the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, all right, so this is one of the concentration camps where so many, so many Jewish people were murdered and uh, my dad, you know, my family is Jewish and background Jewish and my grandparents came over to the United States in 1929 and as a result you know, were saved from that fate, but my dad was always very, very, very um, moved by the plight of the Jews who were not saved, the plight of the Jews, there was something about that that my dad could just never get over. He was saved, and on the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, he said to me, he wrote to me actually a very beautiful email, he said, maybe God saved me so that I, me, Jess, that I would be saved, that I would come into this world. Maybe God saved me, my dad said, to save you, me, that is. Maybe God saved me, my dad said, so that you would be born, that I would be born. (laughs) It's really something, dear listener, it's really something. How does one get one's mind around all that? I don't know. It's not really possible. It's not possible. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. All those lives that were lost, and my dad, by the grace of God, whose parents found their way over to this, you know, to the United States, to Ellis Island, to New York, 
to start a new life. My dad was being carried in my grandmother's belly. On that voyage, my dad was conceived in Russia and born in New York. That's quite something, isn't it, when you think about it? He was conceived in Russia, and then my grandparents embarked on that trip in steerage. Steerage? What's steerage? Steerage is the the bottom part of the ship, you know? That's the, that's the place where the poorest people travel. The poorest people. And uh, they came over, you know, to the United States from Russia looking for a new life. I don't know what port they sailed out of, but they sailed into New York. And my grandmother was so sick, you know, with morning sickness. I mean, she was so sick. I mean, this is a little bit of a funny story that my dad told me, but my grandmother was so sick from the, from the, from the, from the trip, you know, just from the the waves and being on this boat and just the turbulence of the of the of this ocean going you know vessel which she'd never experienced before this was the first time and including you know so that plus her pregnancy she was so sick that she couldn't eat they were they were feeding people borscht which is a russian soup made out of beets right purple usually soup right purple soup beet soup and they were feeding all the Russians their borscht, and my grandmother was so sick she couldn't eat it, you know, she could not eat. And my father said, you know, it's a really weird thing, I remember my dad telling me, but he said, he said, all my life, I couldn't eat borscht. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't eat it. It was so distasteful. And he reckoned it's, it's because he was being held and gestating in my my grandma's belly on that trip over from Russia to Ellis Island to start a new life in the United States, America, you know, immigrants, immigrants, right? Immigrants, let's think about it, right? There's so much now about immigrants. It's a whole other thing now, you know, it's a whole other dimension of this. All of us, so many of us come from this kind of background of one sort or another people heading out trying to find a new life and um, but yeah my grandmother bless her heart she was so sick and through his entire life my father he couldn't eat he couldn't eat borscht because it was implanted in his cells the distaste for it transferred to him cellularly by my grandmother, his mother. So sitting on this rock now in the Antipodes, you know, Australia, the other side of the world, where I likewise have come to start a new life, come to start a new life, you know, it's amazing. Waves of immigration have taken place over the course of history and over the span, over the surface of the world, right? Waves of immigration have taken place. People just setting out for one reason or another to try and find a new life. So, you know, we just can't separate the current wave of immigration, wherever that's happening, the waves of immigration, from the fact that there's always been that way and all of us have come from these waves. We're born from these waves. My dad was born from that experience and they were saved from the Holocaust, you know. 
by the grace of God, and I was saved to be born from my dad and my mom. So when my dad passed just over a year ago, I came to this rock, and I sat on this rock, you know, and just cried and cried and cried, and it was here, dear listener, that I started to feel something I had just no inkling of feeling or anticipating or having ever felt before, but what I realized was that my dad had come to me over the miles, over the oceans, over the distance. In the wake of his passing, he found me on the other side of the world, defying time and space and years, you know, travails, everything, anything that separated us, he found me. He found me. And it was this very spot that I felt him in the most uncanny and uncannily reassuring way. And I feel him now as I tell you this. You see, I can conjure, I realize the feeling of him just by sitting here and remembering, you know? You know, we remember the spirits, right? When we remember those in our lives whom we love and love, it conjures, right? It speaks out to that world, to the other side, and calls them to us. It's very real. It calls them to us. You know, one of the one of the things one of the things that people say, the sort of a Jewish motto relative to the Holocaust, right, and the millions of people who lost their lives is never forget, right? Never forget that they perished and never forget them. Never forget them. You see, we can keep this kind of beautiful tether to those that we've lost and love. We can keep this kind of beautiful tether to them just by remembering so, my dear listener, that's what I wanted to share with you today. Frankly, I wasn't quite sure when I sat down exactly what I would talk about, but I realized that this rock was where I first really began my conversation with God. And this rock is where I began to feel my dad's presence. And he would have turned 90 three days ago, so maybe this is just an apt thing to be speaking about, I think. It's been on my mind. And uh, and here it is, you know, in this place where I'm now living, where I've been blessed to land, to start a new life. Myself coming out of, you know, enormous hardship. Hardship takes all sorts of forms. All sorts of forms. It's really something. But then maybe, you know, I think really, well, God was right. He said, you don't have to worry. And now I can begin to see how right he was and is. And how true those words were two and a half years ago. And how beautiful it is to speak to him. And how beautiful it is to conjure the presence of my dad and to remember him on the occasion of his 90th birthday. 
and to share all this with you, dear listener, across the miles. God bless you. Take good care of yourself and to the person whom I'm thinking of and love and all of you out there. Take good care of yourself, okay? Think of all those close to you too and I wish you the very, very best now and always. Right? Now and always. Bye for now. Bye.